Hey, murder lovers, my name is Mackenzie. This is Fatina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. All right, so hopefully if everything went well and there was no more power outages or more quarantining that needed to happen, this should be an episode that came out fairly soon after the last Scott Peterson part one episode. So today we're going to cover what you want to hear, right? The details of the case, what makes a case interesting other than what made it to the court and what made it to in front of a judge and jury. So we're going to dissect, hopefully chronologically, what happened, the details. We're going to do our best to stay on track. We're going to try our best yeah, we'll try our best to stay on track and stay organized, um, but obviously, even in us talking about staying organized, we got distracted, so... Yeah. So, yeah, we'll start with December 24th. Yes. So, we'll start with December 24th and go almost step-by-step step because this was a day that was obviously very scrutinized in the media and in the court. So, on December 24th... That is the day that Lacey went missing, just yes. to clarify. So, December 24th, 2002, in the morning... His account of that day, and this is something that he tells the cops the day that she goes missing. He's there really late, so it goes in the night of the 24th, the morning of the 25th. He's at the police station giving his accounts. What he's saying, what Scott is saying happened is that Lacey woke up a little bit before him and that she got up and had some breakfast as she had to because otherwise she would be nauseous without food in her stomach because she was pregnant. And that's just something that her body needed to do. So she got up and got and had breakfast by herself. I had some breakfast. I believe she had a bowl of cereal. And then he got up a little bit later and had a bowl of cereal. And then she joined him but had a piece of toast. And they talked about their day, what was going to be happening that day of the 24th. They knew that later on in the day... Scott was going to be picking up the ba- the basket, the gift basket from Vela Farms that was for their grandpa. And then they would go together to Lacey's parents' house for a Christmas Eve dinner. But as far as what was going to happen that day, Scott had plans to load some stuff that he had in his house to take over to the warehouse where he works out of. It's a three-mile ride from his house to the warehouse. He loaded up some big, what... Some would describe as market umbrellas. They're really big umbrellas, like 10-foot-wide umbrellas. He loaded three of those into his the back of his pickup truck, and he took off to the warehouse. That was his plan for the day, and he was going to go work a little bit and then go golfing for the day, pick up the Bell Farms gift basket, come back home, go to dinner. What he's saying, Lacey's plans for the day were she was going to mop that day and then go pick up some groceries to do some gingerbread cookies and she was going to start a french french toast casserole that they would have on christmas morning and was also going to take mackenzie for a walk yes the dog and the the gingerbread cookies were for the christmas eve dinner and the french toast casserole was for christmas morning breakfast So that was her plan for the day, kind of maybe clean up around the house a little bit, take the dog for a walk as her form of exercise since she's so late in pregnancy. Again, just as a reminder, she's seven months pregnant at this time. And so they continue having breakfast. And part of Scott's recounting of what happened is that in the background, 
the show Martha Stewart is on. Mm-hmm. And he just off the top of his head, he tells the officer, yeah, there's something about meringue on there. This is a very key, important piece of information just because that one mention of meringue comes back into play, whether it's to absolve him or to make it look like he's guilty, this one specific moment comes back into play. So that mention of meringue is very important because the show is on from 9 a.m. till 10 a.m. He says he left the house at 9.30 a.m. And, of course, he doesn't recount exactly what the recipe was that the TV show was talking about, but he just remembers the word meringue that stuck out to him, so he's telling the cops just to sort of as a, and not to say this with a tinge of, I don't believe him, but as his alibi, for all intents and purposes, he's saying, I was home with her at that time. She was live and well, mm-hmm. right? There's, he's saying, we're watching the show together. Kind of the defense, the way that they took it is, this is not a show that he would watch by himself. And how would he have seen the show if Lacey wasn't there and wasn't alive? And why would he have remembered something that was going on in there if something else had been happening that morning in that house? Mm -hmm. So the prosecution started watching the Martha Stewart show that aired the 23rd and the 24th. Oops, sorry. So the show of the 23rd was all about meringue. Mm -hmm. It was about making meringues, using meringues. The entire show was about meringues. Now, when the prosecution started watching the show that was aired on the 24th, the prosecution thought they'd seen it all the way through, except for the defense brought it up that there was one mention, like one, literally one time they said the word meringue on that show on the 24th at 9.48 a.m., which is really important because of the timeline that they were both trying to detail. Right. So Scott is saying that he left the house at around 9.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. And which, it was a double-edged sword for the defense. Yes, the word meringue was mentioned in the show on the day of the 24th. But... Also, that screws up the the timeline because that says that Scott didn't leave the house 18, almost 20 minutes later than he's saying he did. A lot can happen in 20 minutes. I'm not going to speculate on that just yet, but that screws up the defense's timeline. Again, it's a double-edged sword. They're saying, yes, there was that mention of meringue, but also it wasn't until 20 minutes later that that mention happened on that show when it aired. Mm-hmm. I think it's important because of the timeline. Yeah, I agree. For both prosecution and defense. Yeah, and what's um, what's to note is that when the defense started their argument, they were mm-hmm. like, he said that they were watching Martha Stewart, and that's not possible because this, this, and this. And so the prosecutors went back and actually found that, yes, in fact, Meringue was mentioned in that episode of Martha Stewart. He hadn't pulled that out of nowhere, but the timelines do not match up. Right. It's not a smoking gun for either party. It doesn't do either of them any favors. Right. So, like I said, it works in the defense's case that, yes, it was mentioned. So he could could have been watching that show with a life lazy. But at the same time, it screws up the timeline completely. Okay, so from there, we haven't even left the house yet. Mm -hmm. So he leaves the house, the... Warehouse where he works out of is only a short three-mile ride from 
his house. Nine minutes driving. Nine minutes driving. And he gets there. And we know because of computer forensics that there was email sent out then. Mm-hmm. And be- and he was at the warehouse between, what, 9? 9- 9.30 and, or I'm sorry, 10.30 and 10.56 is when he was on the computer. Right. So, and for that time from 9.30 that Scott says he left to 10.30, he just says how he accounts for that time is that he got to the warehouse, moved some things around so that eventually he could pull the trailer out that was holding the boat. And then he decided that it was too cold to go golfing. Mm -hmm. And he hooked up his boat and took off to the marina. But we know for sure he was at the warehouse Mm -hmm. because he sent emails. He... His search history shows that he looked at the schematics for a specific tool that he had been putting together. Mm -hmm. By the time that the cops got there on the 24th, the tool was all put together. So it looks like maybe he was just looking up, you know, maybe where a specific screw was left or whatever. So it's not like he put it all together that morning of the 24th. He was just looking up the schematics for the mortar, sir, for anyone that's interested what tool that was. So the boat. Let's talk about the boat since we're... Mm -hmm. the crossroads with the boat he found someone that was selling a boat on a local newspaper ad so on december 8th is when scott contacted someone off of a local newspaper to buy a boat it's just a 12-foot boat and he goes and meets with him he haggles on the price a little bit so since he's haggling on the price the owner decides yes i'll sell it to you for a, a little bit lower but I'll keep the anchor that comes with it because eventually I'm looking to buy a new boat to replace this one. So the next day on December 9th is when Scott shows up with the cash and picks up the boat with trailer and all, and he decides to store it at the warehouse where he works. By the time that he goes and uses it, when we know for sure it was December 24th, had not been yet registered in his name. That does not imply anything. Just saying, matter of fact, it wasn't registered in his name yet. Mm-hmm. On December 20th, he went and bought a fishing license, which was a two-day fishing license, where you have to say in advance what days you're using it for. Mm-hmm. And he put the 24th and the 25th of December. Mm-hmm. We know that on one of his computers, whether it was work or home, he had looked up some tide patterns for the area in in the san francisco bay he had been fishing before this is not the first time that he would have bought a boat and go and try the waters we know that him and Lacey's first date was deep sea fishing so he was not new to to boats he did admit to making a homemade anchor Mm -hmm. that was he put concrete into a bucket And then in order to hook on a piece of cord so he can launch it as an anchor, he put a piece of rebar towards the top of it so there would be a little loop so he could tie it off and be an anchor. So he did admit uh, making an anchor. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is that where we're at with the boat? He had, for as far as uh, both sides of the prosecution and the defense could tell, he did not inform anyone else of the purchase of this boat. But at the same time, the defense proved to a certain extent 
that it was not unusual for Scott to make big purchases such as cars, boats, trucks mm-hmm. without consulting anyone yeah, and without telling someone or, you know, bragging or telling someone like, hey, I bought this, I bought a motorcycle, whatever. He wasn't a got it, flaunt it type person. No. It was just like one day he showed up with. Yeah. Big purchases too. Something that you think you would tell someone. He didn't even, his father testified that even he wasn't aware of some of the purchases that Scott had made. And, for, you know, to be more specific, like the motorcycle, that's a big purchase. And that's something that his dad didn't know that he had bought and sold until it was gone. And it just came up in passing in a conversation. Yeah. So it was not... I think the defense did a good job of proving that it was not unusual for him to make these types of purchases and to not have anyone else be aware of it. Right. Obviously, it looks sketchy as fuck that in this case it was a boat Mm -hmm. (laughs) and how the circumstances laid out. But, you know, had it been a motorcycle, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Right. He decides not to go golfing. He hooks up the boat that day and he heads an hour and a half away south of Modesto to the Berkeley Marina. We have a timestamp of him arriving at the Berkeley Marina at 1254. 1254. That's when he purchased the ticket to park in the Berkeley Marina, just like a day pass, like you do like a national park type parking pass. So that's time stamped. There is witnesses that put him at the Berkeley Marina just because they noticed how much trouble he was having, backing it in to the dock, launching it, and same thing when he was coming out, mm-hmm. which is he was trouble backing his truck up again, lining it up with the with the trailer and the boat. They did also note that it didn't appear like he moved anything that looked like a body into the boat, but um, that doesn't mean that he didn't already have a body in the boat. Right. So he's saying he launched the boat and he went out into the water and he found a small island and he described it almost to a T. There's a no dumping sign in that area and... He just said he just, he just trolled. So what that means is you're just kind of letting the water take you type of thing. He was fishing. And he, when he docked the boat back again, hooked it up, got $13 worth of gas nearby, and then started heading home. When he was heading home is when he made a call to the house phone and to Lacey. And that's when he left that infamous voicemail to Lacey, says, hey, beautiful, sorry, I think I'm running late. I'm heading home from the Berkeley Marina right now. I can't pick up the gift basket, hoping you can get this in time so that you can go out and get it yourself. Something interesting, phone records now tell us that he got two other calls while he was out fishing. Mm -hmm. He talked to his father about Christmas plans, did not even mention to his father that he was out on a boat, that he was out fishing. Talked to, I believe, uh, his brother. Same thing. Did not mention he was on a boat. Did not mention he was out fishing. They just talked about Christmas plans. So, it's odd. But it goes to show that 
he's not chatty or you know what I mean? Like very yeah. to the point conversations type of thing. Yeah, he's not gonna tell you all his business. But some will say odd. Was he going to try and hide the fact that he was boating and fishing that day at all? True. So but we know he spoke to both of these men and did not mention his doings. Yeah. Okay, so he left that voicemail for Lacey. He gets home and he finds, we know he got there, like Mackenzie said, he, uh, well, he got to the warehouse, he unhooked the boat, he went back to the house, he noticed Lacey's car was there, um, he walked in through the back door, noticed that the dog Mackenzie was in the backyard with a dirty leash still on her, and so let's talk about the dog. Mm-hmm. The neighbor, Karen Service, says that she found Mackenzie out in the front yard in that front of the houses type area Mm -hmm. with her leash, disgusting, muddy, and knew knew whose dog it was. So she put her in the backyard through the back side door, Mm -hmm. and her hands were so dirty that she had to go back inside her house and wash them. Before she went out grocery shopping for Christmas Eve. Yeah. So, as far as the timeline on that, I believe her receipt shows something like 10.35 or something. Or 10.40-ish in that area. So, we know that at that time, Scott was was at his office. The fence brought this up that the timestamp on the receipt that the neighbor had on her grocery store receipt was off by about 10 minutes. Yeah. Which, again, it's, it just comes down to the timeline and whose timeline it fits and, you know, right. who it's going to help. But know that it's out there. I didn't want to just skip it because it is something that's been brought up and it was brought up by, by both parties that, you know, the, the timestamp was off on possibly when the dog was found and whatnot. So he goes in the house. He takes off what he was wearing jeans and his sweatshirt pullover he throws it into the washing machine and he starts to load Mm -hmm. he goes and gets that pizza and milk goes and takes a shower comes out you know does the whole voicemail thing calls the in-laws realize that Lacey's missing they go to the park for a little bit they each take their cars back to the house and as soon as the cops on the scene realized something's off mm-hmm. or let's just, you know, let's just look into it because it's a pregnant lady. It's not, again, what made this so prominent was that she was heavily pregnant, mm-hmm. you know, and she was and like her mother already knew that she had fallen once before and that, you know, the dog had pulled her once before. So they were concerned that maybe she is out there Hurt. and needs help. Yeah. So they did call a detective in, and the detective just said, hey, you know, I'm here, it's fresh, run me through it again. And as they're sitting in the kitchen, as Kenzie mentioned, he was weird about some things that the cops were doing, and as one of them was taking notes, he slid an extra piece of paper underneath it, because he's like, I don't want, you know, impressions on my tabletop. Yeah. And the cop asks him, you know, what? were you doing today? What happened? Was the last time you saw your wife? And he runs through his whole timeline and he says, I went fishing. Here's my parking stub from the marina. Now, I find this interesting. 
Some may not because of life experiences. We have different opinions on this. But this is something to discuss. I think the laundry and the tag are something to discuss. So, so you the, and I have different experiences with this kind of thing. Right. So the parking stub, I think it's interesting. And this is not even something that was brought up in court. Mm-hmm. So to me, this was my jackpot moment. Right. <laughs> because he had already gotten out of the clothes that he came, he went to the marina with. Mm-hmm. And he had the parking stub in the clothes that he changed into. Right. And he presented that to the cop, to the detective, I'm sorry, as as he's mentioning, here's my alibi. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that he handed it so freely like that. In my experience... How did it make it from one pant pocket to another like that? How did it even make it from the car... To your new pair of pants. Yeah. And you also found it weird that he would just watch wash his clothes. That he would yeah, come in and just that wash I've come clothes. to terms with. Right. But we haven't explained that because other people have yeah, not. Yeah, that's true. So when we talked about this originally, you were like, this is very weird that he would come in and just wash his clothes, blah, blah, blah. But on and the no, other and hand... I, and I guess just to elaborate, I think it's weird that he... Even though there was a laundry basket with dirty clothes next to it, he wouldn't throw other stuff into it like a nice person would do. (laughs) That he just took off the jeans, the shirt, and sweatshirt that he was wearing, threw those in the wash, and started the load without throwing anything else in it. So my argument to this, um, having lived with a man who... Did manual labor. A specific labor type of work, yeah. specific type of work, yeah. It was not uncommon for Mikey to come home and take off what he was wearing and put it straight in the wash with nothing else. Purely for the fact that it smelled so bad that he didn't want other laundry to mix with it and have yeah. that smell and get dirty. So he always preferred to wash that stuff separately. It was not uncommon for him to do that at all. Also, Again, going back to my experience with Mikey, he would take things out of his pocket. He saved everything. He would take things out of his pocket, set it down with his wallet, and then when he put on new clothes, everything that was with his wallet and phone would then transfer into the new clothing. Yeah. So that, to me, as much as it was a smoking gun to you, it was very familiar to me as, like, a behavior that I have seen men do. But, again, it goes back to people interpret information differently based on their experiences. And why it seems so weird is because, I guess now, in hindsight, if he did something in those clothes that he was wearing, Mm -hmm. it is very odd that he would have just washed those clothes. Right, and you if he I mean? if he had killed his wife, there's any clothes, evidence on he it. He probably right? like then yeah, he probably did wash he his clothes to get rid of evidence. That. Yeah, but if he was truly out fishing, he probably washed his clothes because he was truly out fishing and they smelled bad. So it's like either way, his reasoning behind it is makes sense for. Either I will case. say this though, he didn't catch shit. He yeah. didn't know what he was fishing for. Yeah, but when you're out on and the bay. You, I, I've been fishing. You still. It's a brand new boat that doesn't smell like any dead fish. Yeah. He's got plastic lures, so he doesn't have any life bait. Yeah. But if he's working that hard to load, unload the whatever. And one of his other reasons, too, is that he'd been at the warehouse with fertilizer chemicals. And he said that he washed his clothes so that way his pregnant wife didn't inhale any of the toxic fumes from the chemicals. Okay. I think it's weird. 
And I know you think it's I know. okay. And I think it's normal. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that is sure. part and of my problem with... Sure, and that's how it comes with, circumstantial. Yes, yeah. exactly. Because it can be seen different ways. Um, so with the ticket stub or the parking stub, mm-hmm. I think that's odd because normally when I go somewhere that has a parking plate, you know, a parking stub... It goes I put it on the, my dash. I put it on my window. And then it goes, it goes in the, in the side, side door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not going to carry it from one place to another unless I know I'm going to need it. Yeah. So that's what's odd to me. And that he so forthcomingly said, here, here it is. Here's my timestamp. I was in here. Yeah. That just strikes me as odd. So from there, the detectives... They, he allows them to walk through the house. He walks with them. Well, first they do a search of the house without him in it, just to make sure that, I don't they know. clear the she's, house. Yeah, they clear the house. Make sure not only not Lacey, but not, no one else is hiding in the house or in the house needing help. Then they ask him to walk through the house with them, just to identify if there's anything that's disturbed, anything that's missing. Nothing is missing. Matter of fact, Lacey's purse is there with all of her belongings, her wallet, her ID, her closet. Everything seems neat. Again, reminder: reminder the the maid had just been there the night before, the day before, and let's go back to the mop situation. Because mm-hmm. I think we forgot to mention in the morning, he said that he had filled the mop bucket for Lacey because obviously it would have been heavy for her to lift around. And he left it in a central location in the kitchen and that she was going to mop just the kitchen area. And then when he got home, the mop bucket was there. And when he opened the door, the dog and the cats ran in after him. And he was afraid that the cats or the dogs were going to drink from this dirty water. And. They and he grabbed the bucket, threw it out outside, and left the bucket and the mops outside. Again, might not be weird to some people, right? He was being a nice husband, but could also indicate that he's cleaning up a crime scene, exactly. Yeah, and threw out the water, right? And but then on the flip side, if he was cleaning up a crime scene with a bucket and mop. You would think that some type of forensic evidence would be left behind because we all know that a bucket and mop, like, luminol is going to light that shit up still. If there's blood, though. But then that's my point is, like, what else would he be mopping up? Muddy shoes, drag marks. Yeah. Pee. To a pregnant woman. True. True. Good point. So... So that detective then proceeds to say, hey, can I just have a sit down with you? Obviously, we want to help you find your wife. This is a very, you know, special situation. Can we go down to the precinct and you go over everything again with me? I wasn't writing much stuff down. Let's talk about it. And he has an, enough foresight to, like, press record and do a recording, video recording of the interview. That's the only time that we see Scott talking. Mm-hmm. He goes through the whole thing again, like you said. He says there's no problems in the marriages other than, you know, who else knows your relationship than the couple in the relationship. Yeah. And they ask him, again, that's the night of the 24th, the morning of the 25th. This is a late night, uh, you know, interview. It's not an interrogation yet. They ask him, are you willing to take a polygraph test? He says, of course that he would come back in after the 20, you know, 25th later in that day because, 
it's not fair to him to have it after such a long day. And they probably don't have like a polygraph right. examiner on, on the deck. spot. Yeah. So they're like, here, let's yeah. call Steven really quick. So he agrees to do it. And when he goes home that the morning of the 25th, by the time that time comes around to do the polygraph test that they had talked about or to at least coordinate, he had talked to his father who told him, he advised him not to. So a polygraph is not admissible to court. It's not something that would completely absolve someone of guilt, but it wouldn't hurt. It does indicate people's cooperativeness and yes. that can imply certain things. And as far as his behavior thus far and how the detectives are perceiving his behavior as odd, um, it probably would have helped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the fact that he didn't, I think, only narrowed down who the detectives were were looking at. Yeah. And kind of one of those, like, damned if you do, damned if you don't type right. thing. If he had done it and, and felt it, yeah, yeah. then he's fucked. If he doesn't do it, then it looks like he's trying to hide something. Yeah. So, yeah. But it probably would have been better if he did, in my yeah. opinion... My thing is, is Scott's already a liar. The thing that's not that's disputed in all of this is that Scott's a dirty liar. So there's yeah. no way he was going to get out of that thing and pass it. The second they ask him if there's problems in his marriage, that's going to light up. Yeah. So, like, there's no way he was going to pass it regardless. Even yeah. if he passed the question, did you murder Lacey? And he's like, no. And that came back clear. Everything else would have been a lie. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, the local hotels is nice enough to to donate the conference room to the search efforts to the you know the community that's pulling together so they put up together a tip line they are passing out posters they're passing out pins they're you know talking to the media as far as they i mean mom dad brother all hands on deck except scott right as far as being out in the media his reasoning for this is that he's saying, I want to keep the focus on Lacey. The moment they see someone else or the spouse on camera, people tend to lose focus. They tend to you know, stop looking for her. He's like, no, I want the focus to be on Lacey and Connor. I don't want any of the search efforts to be on him. Yeah. So... I understand that to a certain extent. Yeah. But again, the behaviors and like you said, the, the, you know, how some, how someone, how much someone is willing to cooperate can go a long way. Right. Because again, we've seen this in Chris Watts though, where he was the first one to be like, put a camera on me. Yeah. And that turned out really right. well. <laughs> right. So... I think no matter what you do in this situation, people are, like, Chris Watts did it. He looked guilty as hell. Scott Peterson didn't do it. He looked guilty as hell. So, like, again, damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing. Unless you actually get on there and you really play the part that society expects you to play. Right. And if you know that you're just not that type of person, that maybe you're not a crying type of person or a sobbing on the, you know, on the fly type of person... Mm -hmm. You're going to come off as cold-hearted and calculated 
like a murderer. And maybe Scott knew that about himself. Yeah. We know about the, we know this about him now, right? Yeah. That he's very And I also think callous. too um there might have been some mindfulness of allowing Lacey's family to speak as they see fit and letting them say what they needed to say and wanting to be respectful of how they wanted to address things with their daughter and not necessarily capitalizing on that as the partner. But at this point, he's more than just a partner. I mean, it's it's her husband. It's Yeah, I know. You know I'm just thinking to, in my they're head. They're going to have a child together. Yeah. They've chosen a name for. I know. That I just, in my head, I think it's potential family. reasonings. Yeah, I see what you mean. It could be a potential reason that, you know, you're yeah. just trying to be respectful of. But he never said that. He, yeah. if, he if he had said, you know what? Lacey's mom is making a way better argument. You know, you mean a man didn't articulate themselves correctly? That's <laughs> shocking. <laughs> but you know, if he had come out and said, you know what, yeah. Lacey's mom is pulling in viewers, helping this case stay on the forefront. People are, you know, mothers and mothers are helping because they they feel her pain. Yeah. Then, hey, good on you. You realize that angle. You're working it to help find your wife. Yeah. But because he didn't vocalize that ever or say, hey, this is the approach I'm taking. Yeah. We are only left with that unknown. And I'm making my own assumptions that you're a cold-hearted dumbass that killed your wife. Right. Okay. So tips come in thousands, thousands upon thousands of sightings of Lacey, of people the day of that she disappeared the 24th saying that they saw a pregnant woman or what they thought was a pregnant woman walking a Labrador. They said they, they had like... Not a Labrador, I'm sorry. A, a golden retriever. It was a golden retriever? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, they said that they had 20 plus Sightings. witnesses that, that said that they sighted her. Yeah. yeah. So lots of leads to follow up on. But right? they didn't. But they didn't. Which is, this is where I kind of like... Well, they did on some. The tunnel vision, though, where yeah. it was like, they're, if it's not serving their case against Scott, it's not serving anything. And so I think they tunneled in too quickly, and if it didn't fit the narrative, then it, it was dismissed. And this is where I think the prosecution went wrong, and this is where mm -hmm. I think they could have done more. Yeah. Because if there's a lead that could say someone is not guilty, follow it up. And have concrete proof that that's not right, so they couldn't let your person off. That's what yeah. the prosecution failed to do. If there was, let's say, a witness that was 10 miles down the road and they say they saw Lacey, go completely interrogate them and mm -hmm. mark them off your list as a solid, yeah. completely not true. Right. So it doesn't give the defense that opportunity of, you didn't go interview this person. How could you say they didn't see Lacey when you didn't go talk to them? Right. Which is the hole that the prosecution left open for the defense. Right, because now it's easy for the defense to say, well, we don't... How do you know? Yeah, how do you know that they didn't actually right. see her? Because you never eliminated it. Exactly. You yeah. never went through the whole lead and followed all the way through. And... Because it seems like such said, a small detail to harp on, but the reason we're harping on it so intently is because if Lacey was indeed spotted out walking her dog during this time, Scott did not kill her. It right. really is that simple. If right. she was actually out walking her dog exactly. during this time, Scott did not kill her. There was no way it could have happened. 
So there's a, a very important witness that the prosecution did, you know, and both the defense did follow up on. And this is the lady that's sitting outside of her work. She's a nurse. She was on a break. She was having a cigarette with a view to the park where Lacey would have been walking Mackenzie. It wasn't a clear shot as far as it was a couple hundred feet away. What she recounts is that she saw two men and a woman, a pregnant woman or a bigger woman, we don't know, and a dog. Doesn't the wit, I mean, witnesses in general are so iffy, right? Mm-hmm. But she remembers that there was two men and a woman walking with a dog, and the men were yelling at the dog or at the woman to tell the dog to shut the fuck up. And hello, that's huge. Yeah. If that's actually what was happening, if there was two men following Lacey for yeah. whatever reason, whether it was just Lacey was in the wrong place at the wrong time, or whether it was, or mm. whether it was someone hired by someone, you know what I mean? So do you want to dive into those theories? Because there is actually evidence that supports this. Yeah, because we're talking about witnesses. And yeah. this is, you know, what would have been coming in with the lead. So yeah. Yeah. So what's important to know is that like some home robberies and break-ins were happening around this same time. And one actually occurred at the house across the street from Scott and Lacey's house. When arrests are made in the robberies, these guys that were arrested without being prompted say, I had nothing to do with that pregnant girl. Yes. Like that was the first thing that came out of their mouth. Now the timelines on this get blurry because there is a neighbor who reported seeing suspicious activity on December 24th. And they're adamant that it happened on December 24th. But the police say that the robberies took place on the 26th. Mm-hmm. Now, there is some back and forth about whether the police are blurring the timeline because if indeed the robberies did take place on the 24th, then it is likely or possible. It is possible. That they could have had something to do with the disappearance of Lacey. And the theory is that Lacey caught them in the act or was walking by with the dog and would have seen them actively robbing the place. And she was Maybe intervened or something like that. The other thing is, is like we had previously discussed, the media picked up the case on the 26th and they were in the neighborhood. They're outside of Lacey's house, those kind of things. So one of the arguments is there's no way that the robbery could have taken place on the 26th because the media was crawling around. Nope. I do believe that. I don't think it happened on the 26th because one of the reporters says, I am out there with a full crew with cameras. I'm out like before the sun came up on the 26th and... The mentioning of the robbery happened when they had been there for a couple hours. The neighbors who got robbed came outside their house on the 26th to say that they had gotten robbed. Mm-hmm. So they had realized they had gotten home from their Christmas vacation and they got home on the 26th. They realized that they got robbed. There was cops sitting outside of Lacey's house because of everything that's going on. So they literally had to step outside and yell, we got robbed. And that's where the timeline gets muddy as far as the prosecution, because they're claiming the robbery happened on the 26th. But I think the realization that there was a robbery happened on the 26th. Yeah. Because the camera crews were out there rolling. Mm-hmm. And it's just not possible. The entire morning of the 26th, yeah. and as far as much stuff got robbed in that house, it wouldn't have not been noticeable by camera crews out there. Right. And I have a hard time believing that the neighbor that called it in 
doesn't know that they called it in on the 24th. Like, it's Christmas Eve. You know but, if you're calling something in like that Well, they Christmas didn't call Eve. it in. That's why the confusion is. Because the people that got robbed didn't realize it in 26. So the report didn't happen until the 26th. Oh, so when they the neighbor then came forward and said she saw something sp- yep. suspicious after. Okay, that makes yep. sense. So that's why the report date is weird, and that's why the cops are like, no, the report of the robbery got is it, until the it, 26th. So that's why I don't think it happened on the 26th, yeah, I don't think but so I think either. it happened before then, because there were camera crews out there that would have, like, literally, they're sitting in front of the house that got robbed because they're pointing their cameras at Lazy's house. Right. So the report didn't happen until the 26th, which, which is what the prosecution hung their hat on. Right. Which is wrong. <laughs> There's also another theory. Do you want to discuss that now? Yeah. Okay. So Scott Peterson has filed for an appeal at this point, and a full reinvestigation has been done. So we can get into that later. But one of the things that they uncovered during the reinvestigation was that between 1999 and 2002, which is the year Lacey went missing, seven pregnant women in or near Modesto also go missing. Yep. So there's a lot of them. Um, There's a woman. That's a lot. Yeah. You can't tell me that's a coincidence. No, that's a lot of pregnant women. And there's also a woman who was eight months pregnant, um, who was near Modesto. She might have been in Modesto. I don't remember. She was being stalked outside of her shop by mm-hmm. two guys on Christmas Eve, the same day Lisi disappeared. She called the police and the men went away. And then shortly after that is when Lacey goes missing. Yep. And she firmly believes that those same men that planned on whatever they were doing Probably yeah. redirected their attention to Lacey, who may at that point have been out walking her dog. Yep. And was an easy target. So what's really weird about this, guys, and I, I and I saw it in one of the documentaries. I know exactly who you're talking about. Mm-hmm. The way they show pictures of her pregnant, and she I'm not saying she looks identical, but short dark hair. Da- dark hair, not tall, you know, average woman, and an olive skin tone. Easy prey. Mm-hmm. Because how much could you, how much fight back could you expect from a woman that's far along in her pregnancy? Right. Um, and I heard her speak because they, they were dubbing her, her interview. And this might be biased, but I believe her. I believe her 100% that she saw two men that she oh, was yeah. like, in my gut. I do too. I knew it that if I had not done something, call the police... If I'd been all by myself walking, they had ill intentions. And it is just really weird that it all ends in 2002, right when Lacey goes missing. And that's yeah. it. That's it for the trend. And it's like, okay, well, at that point, it's picked up by the media. Right. So. What is it? Like a trafficking ring? Um, or. I think what they thought it was, it was a trafficking ring and there was intention of. Potentially because they are so far, far along in their pregnancy that they hold them and keep them until their babies are delivered and then they sell off those babies or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's a whole theory with that. I don't know. I don't know if that is the case or not, but I do think that pregnant women were being targeted and it's very likely that Lacey was one of them. For whatever that intention is, I don't know. But And again, this is one of those things that the prosecution was well aware of this theory going to be coming up and they did not follow through on it right. even just to say we've eliminated that you know the either the mo isn't right or the person doesn't fit the description whatever have you yeah. they did not follow through on it because they had their blinders on 
Right. Now, the guys that were arrested in the robbery... Wasn't until months later, right? Right. It's not until months later. And then... When they are, they, they're having a phone, one of them is having a phone conversation with his brother on a recorded line, they actually discuss Lacey. And mm-hmm. the one who's not in prison is like, shut the fuck uh, up. Yeah, yeah, they can listen to everything that you're saying or whatever. But kind of indicated that Lacey kind of needed to be taken care of because she'd seen too much. And so that to me was also really interesting that I was kind of like, this all seems to be something's not right here as far as all of this, all these other theories that potentially to me just seem like they, they have some ground to stand on, but they're not, this is where I think that the police work failed because these are leads that should have been looked into rather than zeroing in on Scott if for nothing else to eliminate them. And I don't think they've been eliminated. But obviously we're not going to, they didn't explore those other leads. So it is what it is. But I think that it calls reasonable doubt into question, which has been the whole premise of where I stand is that there yeah. is reasonable doubt. Is there anything with the search warrants that we have not finished up? Sure. So okay. they execute a search warrant on the 26th and they search the warehouse. They search the house. Yes. All the vehicles. And the vehicles. Yes. Right, so they first searched the house, and they uh, did collect some blood samples, albeit very small blood samples, from the duvet cover up by the pillow area of their marital bed. They're from what Scott says are the cut in his hand, which we know that this is not a hidden fact. He had a cut on his hand, he says, from fishing. He alleges that he cuts himself all the time. And there's also blood on the door pocket on the driver's side door. Again, that's from him reaching in to get something. It is not an exuberant amount of blood. It is minuscule at best. But both blood samples come back to Scott. Yeah. Um, as far as the, the search warrants, they go into the warehouse where he stores the boat. They do this. I believe the night of the 25th or the 26th. 26th. And they find residue circles, I guess we want to call them, or voids where homemade anchors would have been made. It looks like four voids Mm -hmm. where a bucket would have been put and concrete would have spilled over as you're pouring in concrete. And... Only one of those anchors can be accounted for. I'm sorry, there was five, but only one could be accounted for. And that was the one that was inside the boat at the time when the cops got to the warehouse. As far as the other four, Scott denies making more than one. He said that the rest of the concrete he used to fill in some potholes that he had in his driveway and some in the backyard. Now, theory time. Some will say, and I don't disagree, but again, this is not a theory that was explored. So as far as the common theory, he used these anchors to sink Lacey. Yeah. The, Which is also the reason that she's missing all of her limbs is because the current against what is away. holding down her limbs breaks the body away from... Yep. It's a lot of force, but 
the ocean is a powerful thing. So the theory is one anchor on each limb. It's a nasty picture to think of. Yeah, but... it's like horrible. Yeah. Which um, I also like, uh, do we know how much these anchors weigh? Because I'm kind of like, how did you fit all that in your boat? You have like a 150 pound pregnant woman, you, four anchors. Like you have to be overweight capacity at that point. I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, that would be interesting to know. Like, what is the weight capacity? The other theory as far as these voids go and where these anchors would have been, the and again, this wasn't discussed, but he's saying he took the concrete leftovers home and he used it to fill up some potholes where he just laid down the dry concrete and put some water on top of it and just let it settle. So what I'm thinking is that another possibility, and I'm not trying to defend the guy, I'm just thinking of theories, is that he just used extra buckets, although they could not be accounted for, to put in dry concrete since he had opened the concrete bag and it would be easier to transport in buckets than it would be in a broken bag to mm -hmm. his house to fill in these potholes. Yeah. Um, the Nancy Grace... Uh, was harping hard on whether or not he used this concrete to fill in potholes. They did show her that he indeed had patched his driveway, patched some holes in the driveway, albeit terribly, but there was fresh concrete on top of what would have been a, a regular uh, tarred driveway. Mm -hmm. Okay. So. That's, uh, as far as the drops and blood, drops of blood on the duvet, th this is not forensic evidence that could be used because again, it wasn't anything that was coming from a bleeding wound of, you know, gushing blood type thing. It was just a nickel Literally finger. droplets. Yeah. Literally drop it, droplets. But the only cut that he could account for was a cut on his thumb mm -hmm. and a theory is that we know her death was a, a result of a soft kill. Strangulation, suffocation, it was not anything that required bludgeoning or she wasn't bludgeoned and she wasn't stabbed, she wasn't shot. It's a soft kill where there's no well, blood. we don't necessarily know that because we don't know where her head is. So if she'd been shot in the head, you actually don't know that. That's true. Her cause of death has never been ruled. We assume that it's a soft kill. We assume that it's a soft kill. So the theory on the blood is that if it was indeed a strangulation on their marital bed, that the cuts on his hand would have been from Lacey scratching at his hands to get them off. Mm -hmm. And that's how the blood got on the pillow side of the duvet. Yeah. I would argue that if she was scratching at his hands, he would have more than just one cut to his thumb. Yeah. He would actually have scratch marks, which he didn't have. Maybe. And, um, yeah, for somebody that worked in a warehouse and was doing all that he did that day, the fact that he had a cut on his thumb is does not make me blink twice. Like, that, to me, adds up 100%. Okay. <laughs> I just like sure I, yeah again yeah. this these are just things that you know to one person right. that can seem not uh, but again towards culpability my but, whole point about circumstantial evidence you yeah it's like go one way or another yes 
Oh, I did want to mention that also on the search of the house, there are computer history results that show that somebody was making searches on the home computer around 8.30 that morning. And they were doing like online shopping specifically for some items that had like sunflowers on them, which Lacey was known to love sunflowers, things like that. It was very much a, um, what could be interpreted or implied as a female type of search history. Mm -hmm. So whether or not that was Scott trying to make it look like she was online that morning or she indeed was online shopping, which is what I think, that she was indeed online shopping, it looks like somebody was using that computer that morning to complete some shopping that looked female-oriented. Sure. The reason I bring that up, sorry. The reason I bring that up. Yeah, there's a red scarf, all that kind of stuff. Is that if, if the timeline stacks up, and she was indeed online at 8.30 in the morning, he would have had to strangle her, clean everything up, and get her all loaded up into his truck along with everything else. Up, well, supposedly that's what he was doing with the mop and bucket. But again, so. it might have been a soft kill. <laughs> yeah. But. And the house is clean from the day before, so not much to straighten up if there was a struggle. Right. But... That, but again, that's like contradictory to like the whole plot that's being built is that like he killed her, the mop and bucket was there to clean up after it, blah, blah, blah. So it's like, was it there to clean up after her or wasn't it there to clean up after it? Okay. So that he could have done all of this, hauled her body off into the truck, loaded it up, everything like that in under an hour. It just like, it seems like a lot to do um, when I can barely get myself and my dog out of my house within 30 minutes, let alone like. You know, that's, and that's a 150 pound dead weight pregnant woman. That's not going to be easy to move. So that's the reason I bring it up. It's just like a very short timeline to do all of that in. Okay. And from there on December 30th, while they're at the red line in getting tips, one of the calls that comes in is Amber Fry. Mm -hmm. She starts talking to one of the volunteers and it just so happened that one of the detectives was nearby. He took over the phone call. She kind of repeated herself, saying, I'm Amber Fry, and I've been dating this guy. So they meet with her, and they confirm, because at first they took it. <laughs> What's funny is that it's a lead that they actually did follow up on. Well, of course they did, because it serves the narrative. Um, so they they met up with her, and she proved to them with the communications that they've had, with pictures that they've taken, that he and her had been having a relationship. So Amber and Scott met on, on November 20th, 2002, for the very first time on their first date. They met because of a friend, a mutual friend of theirs is someone that Scott had initially hit on while they were at one of their conferences. That didn't plan out because she was a happily married woman. And she said, you know what? Not me, but I have a friend who'd you be perfect for because he was already talking about finding the one, being in love, settling down, having a family. Bitch, you are all those things. (laughs) You are already all those things, sir. But 
this is what he was trying to be, so, or portray himself as. So she's like, you know what? Here's a friend. You're going to love her. She's going to love you, Amber Fry. So they get together. They have their first date. Amber came into the relationship as a single mom. Mm -hmm. Scott admittedly told her he didn't want to have kids. Yeah. But was okay with Amber's kid. Yeah. He said that Amber's daughter would be enough for him. Right. Which I was like, damn, that's a deep conversation after five weeks. But okay. (laughs) But okay. You know what's hilarious, though? For someone that's such a fuckboy, he sure is, like, heavy in the commitment thing. Yeah. Which, like, I would expect him to be, like, the one and done or, like cheat and ghost and things like that he's (sighs) in it like yeah yeah he's like hella committed for somebody that's such a skis ball and i don't know why that is it's the early 2000s we haven't quite invented social media for (laughs) like all the people to start doing what we now call ghosting and all those things he didn't know that was an option yet so a day after he meets up with amber again and he takes her and her daughter Christmas tree shopping. That's oh pretty God. quick. But this is exactly what you're saying. That this is not your one night stand one and like hit it and quit it type of guy. Like he wants to play the role of stability and uh, that, you know, I'm going to be there type of person. Mm. He's committed to this commitment thing. So they go and buy a Christmas tree out together, which to me seems like like a... Not an intimate thing, but something that you don't do with someone on the first, second date type of thing. Yeah. They have sex on the first date. That, yeah, they do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> um, and she's getting to know him. They start hanging out more and more. They, they go on a couple dates. He comes over. He spends the night. He goes out and has a couple conversations. She thinks it's work-related, so no big deal. They have a couple conversations. I'm speeding through this, but... That's fine. They, um, you know, she has the, like, where are we conversations really early on. Yeah. And he tells her kind of, like, what every woman or what every person wants to hear with. It's like, I am head over heels for you you know what I mean and I am completely you know looking at this long term and you know you're kind of it for me and you know what I mean all these all these things that she wants to hear by December 3rd the mutual friend that they have finds out through another person in the same industry who is a Scott's co-worker that Scott's married. She didn't know this. She calls Scott and she's like, Scott, are you married? Because I introduced you to my friend. Yeah. What are you doing? He's like, oh, no, no, no. It's a big misunderstanding. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not married. And then he charms her into letting him be the one to clarify things with Amber. He's like, is it, if it's okay with you, I want to have this conversation with her on my own terms. It's a sensitive topic. If it's okay with you, I'll do it by the end of the week. So on December 9th, Scott meets up with Amber. And we know now December 9th is the same day he bought a boat. But he tells Amber that he is not married but he lost his wife. 
He lost his wife. Yes. Yeah. And that this will be his first holidays without his wife. Yep. So for that reason, he will be spending the holidays in Europe so he can be distracted from all the heartache and pain he's going to be feeling. Yes. And that because of his travels from this December 9th meeting, he probably, other than one or one, one or two more times, he won't see her again till like late January because of all his travels. Because for Christmas, he's saying that he's going to the East Coast with some family. And then for New Year's, he's going to be in Europe. So he has this conversation with, I lost my wife. These words are infamous for this case. Yeah, because it just gives you the heaves because he doesn't say that she's dead. He doesn't say, you know... And he and um, just to kind of like tie it back, when Scott calls his mother-in-law the first time to say like he can't find Lacey, he doesn't say I can't find Lacey. He said Lacey is missing. Mm-hmm. His verbiage is really important. A linguistic forensic specialist could tell you like words matter. I can tell you words matter, <laughs> um, and the the language that you use to say things mm-hmm. can be indicative of. Other things. Like Robert Durst. Who uses cadaver? Cadaver. Yeah. Who in their normal everyday... Why are you using my cases against me? (laughs) Why are you doing that? (laughs) So it's it's important. It's an important conversation. Yeah. Because... And at first, it's just hearsay. Yeah. Because the cops are just hearing that she's recounting this story. So they go to, uh, Scott goes with Amber to a Christmas party. This is on the same day that Lacey also goes to a Christmas party, solo dolo. Scott and Amber are seen taking a picture all cute next to a Christmas tree looking like a little couple. And Lacey is photographed all by herself, seven months pregnant, because her husband is a cheating piece of shit. Um, The prosecution in their closing statements put these pictures side by side it creates Mm -hmm. a real emotional response and i think that was kind of like the bow yeah i think that was what sealed the deal like they saw those pictures side by side and like you hate the man that does that to his pregnant wife um but this picture that amber took with scott is the reason the media finds out about the affair yep the National Enquirer gets it. Got a hold of it because she had sent these out as Christmas cards to people. Y'all are doing too much. Like, slow they, down. They had known each other by, I'm sure by the time she sent out these Christmas cards, less than a freaking month. They met they on November 20th. They literally had, like, known each other three weeks. Right. And she, you don't send out Christmas cards with no. your two-week-old, not even boyfriend, a dating person, like... Christmas cards, girl, you're crazy. Yeah. But. They both were doing the most. She was not able to rescind her cards from everyone that she had sent them to. So a couple were left out, and those were the ones that ended up in the National Enquirer's hand. Okay. So fast forward. She starts her recording thing. So she starts recording the conversations between her and Scott mm-hmm. with the police uh, monitoring these phone calls. Yep. And oh, so, so while she's on the phone with Scott, he is pretending to be in Europe, have mm-hmm. bad connections. He's saying he's having a grand old time. And he says on 
Just, New Year's Eve. Yeah. That he's in Paris for New Year's. And that... Um, he's at the Eiffel Tower. It's Eiffel so beautiful. Tower. Wish you were here. Mind you, on December 31st, this is when there was a vigil for Lacey at a park. Yeah. There's pictures of him there. So obviously he got away from the cameras long enough to have this conversation, lengthy conversation with with Amber and pretend that he was elsewhere. Yeah. How he got the audio to be so terrible on his side to make it seem like he's having a bad connection is beyond me. But it was great. But it's 2002. Cell phone service is Terrible spotty. too. Yeah. But so Amber is doing a great job of keeping him talking. Yeah. Eventually, the cops make the decision that before the National Enquirer news hits the the stands, they're going to inform Lacey's parents and family yeah. about this, that they're aware of the affair, that they're aware of Amber, she's cooperating, and it's an infamous moment that everyone talks about, that the moment Sharon was shown the pictures of Scott and Amber at this Christmas party, mm-hmm. she starts yelling, why did he have to kill her? Why did he have to kill my daughter? Yeah. Now, on January 6th, this is actually when Scott calls Amber and tells her who he really is, that his wife is missing, yep. that he lied to her, blah, blah, blah. Amber confronts him about lying and saying that he lost his wife. She's like, you told me that you lost your wife. And he's like, she's alive. Um, like She's been living in Modesto. There's but different then she went kinds missing. of lost. Yeah, and yeah, there's different kinds of lost, and um, you're probably going to see me in the news, and it's just, like, the whole thing's such a train wreck. So then Amber does her her press conference that we talked about. Scott afterwards, instead of getting mad at her or saying, like, you shouldn't have done that, blah, 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 he says that he's proud of her. Mm -hmm. He's proud of her for coming forward as the mistress, which I was like, ew. It's so odd that he tries to maintain a relationship through all this. With someone who he's only known for less than a month at this point. And then he's only met a handful of times because after essentially that Christmas party photo, they didn't really see each other again in person. All their conversations are through the phone. So it's really odd that he's trying to have this substantial relationship with someone that he barely knows. Speaking of affairs, though, um, and like you said, putting those pictures side by side, he did have another affair while they were married, at least that we know of, from one woman that came forward, Lacey and Scott had only been married for about two months. When she had finished college, she'd moved up home. He was still back at the bachelor pad with the guys kind of thing. And he courted this girl. Same thing, like with Amber. You know, I'm looking for the one. I'm looking to have a long life with someone. Blotty, blotty, blotta. Was talking about going on a trip to Mexico with her. And then one of the times, she would go over to his house regularly. But one of the times, uh, she went over unannounced, walked into his bedroom, and saw another woman in bed. It was Lacey. Yeah. And he didn't react to what, I guess, we're all conditioned to think someone that is caught in the act of cheating would react get up, oh my God, no, like it's not what it seems type of thing because lo and behold, he's in bed with his wife. Yeah. And it's he the needs girlfriend. He to explain to Lacey. Right. So it's the girlfriend that walked in or yeah. the affair that walked in. and But he said nothing. He was 
stone cold, just looked at her at the door and watched her walk back out. And he only showed up the next day to say, sorry, you caught me with Lacey. My wife. My wife. Yeah. And he, that's as far as the explanation he was that he gave her. And there was not much else that, but it's just, obviously he's showing that he's done this. Yeah. Um, seems like a sport to him at this point. Yeah, but also one could argue that he's done this before and never killed Lacey, so why now? I don't know. Yeah. It's just... Um, her name is Janet Isles. Ills. Yeah. Uh, but it was weird, and, and just to tie it all up and, and bring it all around, the, the roses thing, because we know he gave a rose to Amber, he charmed Lacey and Sharon with roses, he gave this girl, reminder, while he's married with Lacey, 12 dozen, dozen roses. 12 dozens, <laughs> 12 dozens of roses. You're good. So 144 roses. That's a lot. It was so many that she had to put it in a cooler. Do you see this? That's a lot. That's a lot of roses, but yeah. that was his calling card. Searches continue. The cops keep searching because... Like, we, we know this. There's there's no doubt about it. There's blinders on. They're looking at the marina. Mm -hmm. They're skeptical about the boat trips, about the fishing, because there was some instances where some recount that Scott didn't know what he was fishing for. Some say that he did. He didn't to, know what bait he was using. Exactly. Then he said he wasn't using any. And then other times when he was telling these stories, obviously... In hindsight, he was telling these stories very matter-of-factly and that he was very sure of what he was fishing, what he was using. So inconsistencies there for him. So they focused on the marina. They brought out search dogs. They also brought the search dogs around the house and to the warehouse. The dogs pick up did pick up some scents at the warehouse, but there is no question Lacey had been at the warehouse before. Yeah. And... There's also some sense that the dogs picked up from the warehouse leading to the freeway that would have potentially been taken towards the marina. But as far as I'm concerned, unfortunately, a scent dog's trail is as conclusive as a polygraph test. Also, there was an issue with the dogs. I'm trying to remember. Um... There was something with the dogs and that they had, one of them had, like, failed their certification the first time around. Oh. The dogs failed their certification for tracking, and they had been out twice to the warehouse before with no result, and then came mm. back a third time and finally found her scent. Yeah. And so, although they did allow that evidence into court, they shouldn't have, because it's faulty. So they took the dogs to the marina, and again, it was one of those things where it was botchy. It wasn't a for sure hit. There some, um, they had a couple what they call hits, mm -hmm. but nothing, no smoking gun. Right. And they also did sonar searches in the marina, and they at one point thought they had found something on sonar, but it was just an anchor that they'd found not related to the case. Um, but because it was such a big anchor, they thought they'd had something. And uh, famously, when, when Scott was asked about this by his mom, his mom was like, deny, deny, deny. 
let's keep hope that it's not Lacey or something along those lines. Yeah. Because his cars were being held for evidence or for searches and whatnot, both his and Lacey's car, mm-hmm. he did not have access to his cars and he had to get rental cars. So with the rental cars, um, the first one that he got, it was too small. He needed a truck. So he had called Enterprise to rent a car and said, hey, can I switch out soon for a truck? The police got wind of this conversation because by this point they were tracking his phone calls. Mm-hmm. So they coordinated with Enterprise rent a car to have a car equipped with GPS tracker on it yeah. so they can trade him out. But the point of all these with the rental cars is that he would make the hour and a half drive to the marina mm-hmm. to sit in the parking lot for sometimes five, sometimes ten at most minutes and look out either into the water or look at the search efforts just to turn right back around. Never got out, interacted with the police, with the detectives, with the search people and said, hey, have you found anything? Where are you looking? You know, what's going on? Anything. So just odd behavior. Something that he could have done on a phone call too, I'm sure. To say, hey, where are we with things? How's the search going? Where are you looking? Have you found anything? But for the cops, at least, it was odd that he would make the drive, go sit in the parking lot, look at them doing the search, but never get out and speak to any of them, all to just turn right back around. Yeah, it kind of looked like he was, like, trying to see if they were finding anything. Yeah. So, that was just odd behavior, and he eventually was being hounded by media. This case was highly, highly publicized. So... There was paparazzi, there was media trying to get interviews with him, and because he hadn't spoken other than to a select few, it was an interview that everyone wanted. Mm -hmm. Literally anything that he would say would make headlines. So he eventually moved down to his sister's house, and he was staying with her. In San Diego. In San Diego. Okay, so I think this is going to be a good stopping point because the next part, we just realize it's a whole nother thing. Mm-hmm. So I think next we're going to do trial. Or Scott the, being sorry, arrested. The, the body's being found. Scott being arrested. Trial. Yeah. Okay. But so, you guys know everything leading up to that point. Yes. So there's that. Tell us if we've missed something. Yeah. Hopefully tell us soon so we can try and fit it in the third one. Get it in there as quickly as possible because (laughs) we got like a very small Uh, gap here. Yeah. Because we're trying to get these um, out of our head now. Yeah. So. All right. All right, guys. Oh, shit. He's on the move. Thank you for being on this journey with us. Yep. Um, Sorry if the organization's a little scatterbrained. But that's how we feel times 10. Yeah, it's a lot to organize. It's a lot. All right. You guys know the social medias. Uh, oh, 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 wait, 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 wait. Somebody left us a really nice review. Hold on. Oh. Sorry. I'm not going to do a what the Florida. I just don't have time. I'm manhandling a dog right now. Um, but somebody left us a really nice review. Your uh, handle name is Ruger7. Um, they said the best new podcast. I just found this podcast and I have already binged all the episodes. The hosts are hilarious. Spit my coffee out of my nose, a time or two laughing. Thanks. Stop it. Um, That's adorable. And they said the stories are lesser known to me, which is great. I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts, so I love the fact that it's not the same cases. Thank you so much. I love that. We try. 
Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Well, you can leave us a review if you would like on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Otherwise, you can follow our social media. Sorry, I'm going to talk really fast because Navy is absolutely done. Um, Instagram <laughs> at a stranger danger podcast. Gmail a stranger danger podcast at gmail.com. Facebook stranger danger colon a true crime podcast. Facebook group stranger danger colon murder lovers. And Twitter at SD True Crime Pod. And if you haven't done so already, go check out our Patreon. You can just search for us at Stranger Danger colon a True Crime Podcast. Whoop, whoop. Thank you so much, you guys. Okay. And we'll see you in part three. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.